Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. Hello and welcome to Headliners, a first look at tomorrow's papers with me, Mark Dolan, tonight in the company of Leo Kurse and Dmitry Bakanov. Um, lots to get through, but let's start with tomorrow's front pages. And we begin with the Daily Mail. Uh, it's the Mail on Sunday, of course. Secret election pact to stitch up Boris. As PM is rattled by resignation of Pawn MP, the Tories' chairman accuses Starmer and Lib Dems of a plot to destroy Boris Johnson. The Sunday Telegraph next. Half of our MPs will be women, say Tories, after Pawn scandal and fears of summer rail chaos after union threat. The Independent MP quits over moment of madness. Conservative Neil Parrish resigns after admitting he watched pornography twice in the House of Commons. Sunak doesn't get the cost of living impact on the poor. Um, the Treasury has withheld financial support during the cost of living crisis in the belief that households will be able to use their savings to weather the storm, Whitehall insiders told The Independent. Money people did not spend while locked down at home. That's the view of the Treasury, at least according to this unnamed Whitehall source. The Observer next, disgraced MP broke the law by watching porn in the Commons. And UK envoys warning over Putin as she returns to Kyiv. The Sunday Mirror, mum's torment over killer. I had monster Belfield's secret son. Levi Belfield fathered a secret son weeks before killing Millie Dowler, according to a woman today, as reported exclusively in the Sunday Mirror. The Sunday Times, I'm worried the Ukrainians will attack. Paranoia reigns in Transnistra. Rid commons of cosy culture of debauchery. Uh, this according to Lindsay Hoyle, the common speaker. Sunday Express, exclusive secret services, red alert warning. Putin's army of saboteurs target Britain. Johnson and Patel told of threat. Britain's security services were on high alert last night. Amid fears Vladimir Putin will send saboteurs to the UK. Well, I think that ship has already passed. The Daily Star Sunday, last but not least. I'll say this only once. We et allo allo. Good morning. Zutalor, the French had a sense of humour failure over allo allo, says Mimi Labonk star Sue Hodge. Perhaps there was something lost in translation. It turns out the French didn't enjoy hello allo. Who knew? And those are your front pages. Let's kick off, shall we, with pornography and Leo Curse. <laughs> yeah, not, not the first time that's been said. But yeah, this is uh, Neil Parrish, which uh, is, is an MP for Tiverton in, yeah. in Dorset or Devon or somewhere like that. And he's resigned. He stood down from, uh, from being an MP uh, after being caught uh, looking at porn twice in the Houses of Parliament. So he says the first time was an accident. He was trying to look at some tractors 
and uh, stumbled across porn, and uh, which you know we've we've all been there. In fact, earlier today I was trying to find some porn, and all I could find was tractors. But uh, <laughs> he, first time it was an accident. But then he thought, "Wow, I enjoyed that. That was better than looking at tractors." So he went back and deliberately watched porn a second time, which is, which is bad. So uh, so yeah, he stood down, and uh, I mean it seems quite quite an abrupt um, you know step, you know considering the things that. Politicians haven't stood down for, but we've got the local elections coming up. So maybe once you know the, the Tory party want a, want a clean slate, they yeah. don't want any scandals hanging over them. Yeah, well, I've got to admit, I was watching a clip of Mrs Brown's boys before we came on air. So people in glass houses should not throw stones. <laughs> but Dimitri, is this a sackable offence? Uh, well, technically, he's broken the law, so I guess. Uh, but obviously, um, I understand why Bro Boris Johnson is um, shocked by that. Because he's, why would, it's hard to explain to him why somebody would quit after breaking the law. <laughs> and by the way, I also, I also think it's very easy to go from, uh, from tractors to porn because tractors are actually considered porn in Ukraine. So. <laughs> yeah, I wondered about that. Yeah. yeah he's so, actually, so he was supporting the Ukrainians. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. Farmers are like Ron Germany in Ukraine, aren't they, really? They are. <laughs> they, are they are true sex gods. I mean, it's obviously, you know, an issue for the prime minister because there will be a by-election now. Mm. But it also just paints a picture of the House of Commons as a sleaze fest, doesn't it? Yeah, it does a bit. And there, there's other stories. And there have been stories uh, in, the, in recent weeks, you know, Angela Rayner, there were comments made that, you know, she was distracting MPs by being a woman. Uh, so, you know, the, there are sexism uh, stories hanging over, hanging over Parliament at the moment. But, but I, I mean, you've, you've got all that power and all that testosterone. Yeah. I mean, a, apart from Keir Starmer. Obviously. But, uh, <laughs> but it is a place where, uh, where, you know, you've got a lot of big egos and, uh, and, and power is the ultimate aphrodisiac. I, I think it's deeply inappropriate, offensive what he did. And, and it will have upset female colleagues. It's not the right thing to do. But I just wonder whether it's worth losing your seat over. Yeah, it does seem seem quite extreme, and uh, I mean, porn. I mean, it's it's not illegal to to watch porn, obviously. Um, I mean, it's uh, it's something that's got to be done in the right context. So maybe 11 p.m. in a travel lodge. That's when you can watch porn. Can if you do it at a... midnight after headlines? Yeah, do you mind? You can, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't do it right now. Yeah. Like while you're watching. That's... Well, or, or just do it to Leo Kerr. <laughs> if this is your porn, then you definitely you, shouldn't. You do know, it. we we always get a ratings bump when you're on. I wondered. <laughs> I wondered what that was all about. A bump, you see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's the chest hair. <laughs> it's rapidly going grey. But, uh, but, yeah, doing it in, in the Houses of Parliament, where... Well, you, well, I, didn't say, I didn't say doing it in the... I, mean, I, just, I, I just meant looking at pornography. Well, Let's not that, get carried away. It would be upsetting for, for pornography, wouldn't it? Doing it in the Houses of Parliament. But people can see. People sitting behind you can, can look down... Not and see from behind now. You're, you're <laughs> going to get us taken off air. It's a family show, Leo. There's kids watching. <laughs> Dimitri, help me. <laughs> All I'm saying is, look, um, during the pandemic, a lot of people have have watched porn during work hours, especially mm. working from home. He's yes. just taken some bad habits into the office. That's exactly right. Maybe this is a hangover from those times. Nothing yeah. more than a little carelessness. <laughs> Our next story, and a big promise from the Tories with this one, Dimitri, following yep. the news there. So this is from The Telegraph, and uh, following this scandal, the Tories are trying to clean up their image, so they have promised um, to make, uh, make their uh, MPs 50-50, men and women, mm. which is, you know, because I, I guess this is... That's the only type of porn that they find acceptable as well. There has to be an equal equal ratio. But um, yeah, they've they've decided that uh, there are far too many men. Um, they've uh, they've looked at Labour, who have more women than men, and they've decided they they want also to lose the next election. So they'll. Uh, the <laughs>
uh, it's, it's a good track record to, uh, to, to take on, I guess. Um, I mean, is it, is it a laudable goal? Because I, mean, I just wonder whether we shouldn't simply have the best politicians in Parliament. What, the best people for jobs in 2022? No, we've got to look at their identity, we've got to look at their race, their gender, their pronouns and all that sort of stuff, and then get the one that ticks the right boxes on the, on the, uh, the, the equalities form. That, mm. is, that is the way to hire in 2020. But the problem is, though, I mean, how can Labour, for example, uh, police a policy of, of uh, having 50% female MPs when they don't know what a woman is in the first place? Exactly. How, how will they define it? <laughs> I mean, will, will Keir Starmer frisk everyone that comes in well, looking that, for, like, key vital that's organs? That's not how you find out what a woman is these days. You've got to ask them what their pronouns are. And if I they see. say they're she and they or whatever, then, uh, then they're a woman. And, uh, and that, that could be how the Tories are going to get... So working ovaries won't cut it for Keir Starmer, is that right? No, because uh, working ovaries could be in a, in a trans man who right. was born female and transitioned... Mammary glands, would that do it? Uh, again, could be in a trans U man. Urethra? Womb? Yeah. No. I'm, I'm, I'm fighting a losing battle here. Yeah. Uh, however, I wonder, Dimitri, whether it isn't women that should be running the country. Um, yeah, I know. I, I have no idea. I mean, oh. we're men and we know how stupid men are. <laughs> you know, exhibit A, the cast of this show. Hey, should, should we encourage more women into high office? Aren't women more sensible, more down to earth, more trustworthy? Some. And some are unheard. But like, <laughs> look, I, I, you talk about like, the, the, it's, it's negative to have representation. I disagree. I, I don't think that there are enough Ukrainian-born stand-up comedians represented in Parliament. So um, <laughs> I, I would like to see that. Hmm. No? And this, yeah, this could yeah, come but when, when would you look at your pornography? That's the issue. In my break times. That's a good point. That's the appropriate or, time or to do it. Or when sitting on the back benches. Yeah, when nobody can see <laughs> yeah. it. It's yeah, like no, the there's... classic rule, right? If you go to the cinema, if you want to mess around, you sit towards the back. Oh, had that's a good that's a good trick of the trade. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll actually I'll do that tomorrow when I go to see Frozen too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean the the fifty fifty gender uh, goal could uh, could combat sexism and also it'd be good if they get some lookers in. Oh yes, oh, yeah. yeah. But I want to I want to know why you know these these quotas they're they're always like aiming for ratios and quotas. In, uh, in desirable positions, like running the country. Where's the 50-50 gender goal for sewage workers or bin collectors? Mm. Where, why is it men who always have to do the, the grubby tasks that, you know, leave you with muck under your fingernails? Yeah, well said. Yeah. And, and I'm not just talking about being in the Houses of Parliament looking at tractors. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was going to say the same. I know you think it's a desirable position to be an MP. Most people don't want to do it. I want to do it. For Why? Well, uh, the good Wi-Fi you get in the Houses of Commons. I was told the only work you do is uh, is getting elected, and after that you can do what you want. And I was uh, told to make by an MP. Yeah. So, uh, oh wow! Okay. Although I should probably uh, point, if I ever did run, I'd, I'd work really hard and do the best job I possibly could. Yeah, well, they've clearly got good broadband in the house. That's certainly one positive. <laughs> Sex, booze, and politics is the life of an MP, according to the Times, Dimitri. Yeah, this is, so this is continuing from all from the same uh, scandal whereby it's essentially been found that the, the Houses of Commons are far mm. too uh, masculine, far too misogynistic. And um, again, they're continuing to try to increase the number of women. Uh, so um, Baroness Jenkin uh, of Kennington has said that Westminster is a toxic uh, mix of stress, booze, testosterone and power. And so she's decided to add uh, oestrogen to it. 
<laughs> yeah. What a heady mix. That's what I call a Molotov cocktail. Michael Fabricant, the Conservative MP, has apologised for causing offence recently. Uh, Leo, tell us more about this. So, Michael Fabricant, he previously uh, said he'd tried to defend Boris and the, the lockdown parties at number 10 by saying, oh, it's just people having a drink at the end of the day, like, you know, teachers or nurses would do. And uh, teachers and nurses said, wait a minute. We don't have a drink at the end of the day. We're too busy. If we're nurses, we're too busy, uh, you know, shoveling COVID fluids into sacks or whatever they do. Uh, teachers are never at work because they're, they're always on holiday. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, end of the day, teachers, teachers don't wait till the end of the day. I mean, for a start, they clock off at about 3 p.m. <laughs> and, uh, you know, these, these trumped up uh, babysitters uh, at my school, they were getting drunk at lunchtime. So, you know, I, I think Fabricant, you know, doesn't need to apologise. Uh, but he did say it wasn't his in intention to cause offence or demoralise nurses and teachers. Uh, and he said, I applaud the work of nurses. Well, I hope he did it on Thursday evening on his doorstep with a frying pan, just banging it together. Well, yeah. I mean, Dimitri, I think we're learning from Partygate and Beergate and lots of other people who worked together as colleagues during the pandemic probably had a beer in the same room that they'd spent all day working. Mm. I mean, who cares? Um, it's OK, I think, as long as you didn't make the rules. Right. Right? You've got, you've got to set the rules. If you, if you set the rules, you've got to follow them. That's it. Yeah. Um, it's kind of... It's kind of a simple task. But they, they had to set those rules because we're a nation of crybabies who need need to be mollycoddled and have lots of rules. Then go by example, that's it. And by the way, uh, having worked in the NHS for years, nurses drink. <laughs> that's the good thing about nurses. Of course they do, yeah. Well, it's, uh, it, it's a stressful job, isn't it? Yeah. Doctors as well. I think some of the worst alcoholics in the country are doctors. Yeah. So. And, then, and then when you register with your GP, they ask you how many units you drink. And it's like, what is this? Is this yeah. before dinner? No, that's yeah, for the no. whole week. I have yeah. never, never knowingly told my doctor the truth. Yeah. And Does I anybody? Never, never will. That information is classified, but we'll certainly be having a drink after this. Um, how about this? Prince William is having a royal dilemma and is holding crisis talks with his aides, Dimitri. Yeah, so, um, so following the disastrous um, uh, royal tour around the colonies. Yeah, the Caribbean in particular. Yeah. Didn't go well, did it? Well, Prince uh, Prince William has vowed to modernise the monarchy, which I think he's going to wear a hoodie or something like that to, <laughs> right. to, to show that he's down with the kids. Um, and the thing is, it's like, the fact that um, there's a there's a crisis meeting following public relations blunders, where essentially they let people uh, express their views I find hilarious because they, the only public relation was the fact that a uh, blunder was the fact that they let somebody express their opinion. Yeah. Like and this was local politicians who said that the Commonwealth is wrong, or that the, the uh, colonisation of the world was wrong, seeking reparations. They yeah. were being politicians. They were being politicians. They gave fair warning. And honestly, um, I don't like people like, asking for reparations, but if there's anybody you can ask for reparations from, it is the royal family. Kind of, if you go, well, if anybody took my money, it's definitely you guys. There's historic proof. Were the royal family involved in slavery, though? I thought they were just involved in, like, butlers. In butlers? Yeah, they've got loads of butlers. But the butlers get paid. I don't know if it was... If it was yeah. They get paid I mean, now. The whole point is that this country, as a population and as a culture, has benefited from slavery, as many countries have. And there hasn't been an empire that didn't have slavery or a superpower that didn't indulge in it. A deeply wrong thing, but it's not really Prince William's fault. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't think I personally benefited from slavery. 
Like, you know, maybe if I was born 400 years ago, mm. I would have. But yeah, this this call for reparations, I mean, where does it stop? It's so many hundreds of years ago. Like, do do I, as a Scot, get to get to call in Sweden and ask for reparations for, for Vikings enslaving us? Mm. Or the, the Barbary slave trade? Or, uh, or you know, the, the, and there's so much slavery going on around the world right now. There's slavery in Libri Libya, in the Middle East. China. In China with the Uyghur Muslims. Yeah. Uh, nobody seems to be doing anything about that, which is something we could actually have a concrete impact on right now instead of just fussing over stuff that's already happened many hundreds of years ago and, uh, and the people who are responsible are long dead. Yes, I mean, do you think the royal family can be modernised? Because my idea, my thought about the monarchy is that, like a lot of British things, it's ridiculous on paper, but it kind of works. No, they can definitely be modernised. We can convert them to run on electricity instead of diesel. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think we could, uh, we could vote in. We could uh, introduce a sort of elected monarch to, to go alongside the Queen. I, I see. All right. Jeremy Kyle for, for a few months. Oh, I see. So that's a bit like prime minister and a president. And yeah. you'd have the head of state would be Simon Cowell or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Maybe yeah. Gary Lineker? Hmm. Well, yeah. they're, they're also uh, they're looking to hire new communications people to lead this new approach to modernise uh, the royal family. They've interviewed two candidates in their 30s uh, and said that they were so bad that they were wildly inappropriate for the job. <laughs> Can you imagine going for an interview and then like, having it publicly said that Not you great. were terrible? <laughs> but also, it's kind of their fault as well. Why did you know? Imagine inviting like a plumber to, to a job interview <laughs> to be a GP. <laughs> That's kind of on you for the invitation. Like, yeah. I, you know what I would offer them as modernization? Join Judaism. Why not? That, that would be new. That would be something. Yeah, it would actually, be a new, you know, or, or maybe the Scientologists. Well, yeah, that's a good point, actually, because Judaism is older, right? Scientology is brand new. But I think it would be harder to go there because there's too many of Megan's friends are there, right? Oh, God, you're absolutely right. And Tom Cruise, John Travolta, it would be impossible. I mean, what do you think? I mean, you, you, you're, you're a Brit, you live in the UK. Mm -hmm. But you originally, where were you born? Ukraine. Well, Ukraine. I was born in USSR. USSR, right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, which it will be again soon. But look, <laughs> the, the bottom line is, what is, what is your view of, of the monarchy as, as a concept? Does it seem outdated and strange to you? I, I embrace it because I'm here and I, I don't want to, you know, be the kind of person that comes over to somewhere that works better than where I ran away from and say, hey, you guys should do things my way. Because, mm. you know, the, the Soviet approach to monarchies is a bit too brutal. Well, if as I said, I think the idea of a monarchy is, is on paper. It's, it's bonkers. It's arcane. It's anachronistic. It's strange. It's comical. It's absurd. But I do think it kind of works. And haven't we learned in the last couple of weeks that it's politicians that can't be trusted. And maybe we're better off in the hands of these figureheads who just have a public but non-political role. So you want a dictator for the UK? Ideally. A benevolent <laughs> I, well, I, I think for our head of state, the idea of an elected head of state, yet another politician, fills me with, yeah. fills me with horror. I don't know, I think, I think it works well in, uh, in America. I think it works well there, and in, in France it works well. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, but I, I think you know, if, we well. don't, if we don't uh, have an elected head of state, then we could at least privatise the royal family. I want to get some dividends back. And, uh, you know, I think if the Queen's going to give <laughs> Prince Andrew 12 million quid, I think that should come from, you know, th they should make that money. I think, you know, they, they always say the royals should be, should be there because they bring so much tourist dollars, uh, tu tourist pounds into, into the country. 
uh, which is kind of a nonsense because people go on holiday to France and it doesn't have a royal family. So, yeah, why don't we privatise them and uh, let's get some of the... We'll get a Christmas dividend from the royal yeah, family. That's not a bad shout. But my point is, Dimitri, politicians are overrated, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, it, when it doesn't work... We've got, you know, Ukraine has a great politician right now. Yeah. Zelensky. A hero. Comedian as well. Mm. And by the way, he was terrible. Was he, was he a rubbish stand-up comedian? Oh, I think so. Yeah. Like, it, it, it wasn't my cup of tea. Yeah. Like, but at the moment, he's doing really what well. What was he? Was he Was he a kind of Jimmy Carr one-liners guy? Or was he a storytelling Billy Connolly? Storytelling. Uh, and, um, but, you know, kind of comedy in Ukraine was different. Yeah. Uh, I think he's a better politician, yeah. which doesn't go for Well, me. I think that makes you officially the world's second most famous Ukrainian comedian behind Zelensky. Probably. So... Watch this space. <laughs> uh, brilliant stuff. Well, look, an interesting conversation. I think you'll agree, but we've got lots more to get through. Coming up, we've got Russian TV propaganda and the bikini police. Back to Leo there. Stay tuned. <laughs> Welcome back to Headliners, a first look at tomorrow's papers with myself, Mark Dolan, tonight in the company of the brilliant comedians Leo Kurse and Dmitry Bankanov. Um, because it's, it's actually, I know how to say your name, but I think it's written wrong there. Give me the official pronunciation of your name. Bakanov. Uh, Bakanov, not Banarkov. Uh, let's, I am uh, deeply offended. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's make sure we spell people's names right, can we please? Um, now, listen, let's uh, start with this one. Leo, tell us more about the simulated nuclear strike on Europe from Russian state TV. Yeah, so this was broadcast uh, on, on Russian state TV, Kremlin-backed TV, which I think is the only kind of TV you can get in Russia. Uh, so they simulated a nuclear strike on three European capitals as presenters claimed there would be no survivors and the missiles would obliterate London, Berlin and Paris in a matter of minutes. 200 seconds, to be exact, with their new, uh, what's it called, the Sarmat missile. They said one Sarmat missile and the British Isles is gone. I think they're, they're underestimating how large Britain is. You cannot destroy it with one warhead. You can maybe take it Kensington or something, but um, that, that would actually destroy a lot of Russian property. So they probably don't want to do that. Uh, I'm actually wondering what this would do to house prices. I mean, that's, that's the real question on everyone's lips. In some areas, it would raise them, wouldn't it? Well, in some areas, it would improve, improve the local environment. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not looking at you, Edmonton, but also I'm thinking, well, would it bring down house prices because the houses would be irradiated or would it raise house prices because there'd be less supply? It's really hard to work out, uh, given what we've seen over the last few decades. I think they definitely still keep going up. But, uh, but yeah, this, this was simulated on Russian state TV, state TV propaganda in Russia. Yeah. It's pure fantasy. They can't, they can't blow up, uh, they can't blow up the, the British Isles. And, uh, and if they did try, we'd blow them up. And then who'd yeah. be laughing? Well, nobody. No, and, and of course, it's a, a colossal nightmare and a human tragedy what's happening in your home country of Ukraine. Uh, do you think Ukrainians genuinely think there's a chance that Putin would press the nuclear button? Uh, definitely. Uh, because I've got friends in Kiev, I've got friends, well, now in Poland and Germany who've, um, who've managed to leave. Uh, and um, they, they, they do think that there's a chance and they do want, my friends at least, they want um, Europe to step in. Yeah. To, to kind of stop him before he goes any further. Mm. So it's, it's unfortunate and it's, um, 
but it is how people feel. M mind you, these are exactly the same people that were telling me to come over when there was a threat of the war. Yeah. Uh, and I also didn't think it would actually happen. So yeah. our reliability on political matters isn't mm. great. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, it looks like, you know, if, if Putin does use nukes, he's not going to use nukes to, to, to fire at Paris or, or London. He'll use uh, tactical nukes uh, in Ukraine itself. Uh, and it's looking like, I mean, he's, he's really been humiliated with uh, his, his invasion of Ukraine. I mean, the Ukrainians have shown like, amazing spirit, an amazing military prowess yes. in, uh, in repulsing you know, a much larger military. But they've really, they've taken chunks out of Russian's, Russia's military. Mm. Um, it's really, uh, it's really uh, been a, a terrible disaster for, for Putin. So now that he's getting desperate, he might use tactical nukes on the battlefield. Although that would be surely a provocation for the start of World War III, wouldn't it? I mean, that would be, I think that would be the first time uh, nukes have been used in a, in a tactical... The, uh, the West couldn't tolerate that, could they? We, we'd have to wait and see, but I would have thought not. Although it would be a big step forward to using intercontinental nukes mm. against the West. Mm. So I just can't believe that, you know, after so many decades of the nuclear threat hanging over us, we don't have a missile defence system. Where are the lasers? All, all our scientists have been doing is developing pronouns and yeah. rainbow paint for police cars. <laughs> yeah. Where are the lasers yeah. to shoot down these missiles? I'm furious. What are my tax pounds being spent on? Uh, 34 billion quid on test and trace. Yeah, and no lasers to shoot down <laughs> nukes. Uh, Dimitri, uh, what are your latest thoughts about how this conflict is going to play out? Uh, I, I'm really hoping that uh, Putin's going to put all his forces into Donbass, try to keep that, and um, try to save face mm. by doing that. Mm. Because I, I don't think this was planned. I think this was... I think he had misinformation as to how this was going to go. He thought it would be a few weeks, maybe? Mm. Uh, I think he thought it was even less. I think his generals fed them, you know, what he wanted mm. to hear. He started going down that route, figured out it's not going to go his way. Uh, but because he's not able to go backwards... Um, you know, he just has to kind of double down on what he's doing and, uh, you know, pretend it was always planned. And, and is there a settlement that would be satisfactory to the Ukrainian people and to the President Zelensky, your fellow comedian? Uh, do, do you think that there is a gold-plated, diamond-encrusted ladder that Putin can be given to climb down? Uh, I, I doubt it very much, mm. but we'll see. Because, you know, at, at some point, actual peace needs to come in. Um, and I, I do think that's going to mean giving up Donbass and mm. probably the land bridge to Crimea, which is kind of why a lot of stuff is happening. And could, could the Ukrainians live with that? From the people I've spoken to, no. Mm. Uh, that's, that's so that, that's potentially the solution, except that it's unacceptable to, yeah. to Ukraine. And we're, we're looking at uh, mm. Russia possibly completely losing this war. And now the West is talking about taking back Crimea and taking back, fully taking back Donbass, even the, the, um, the region that was uh, you know, previously in, in turmoil. So Putin could actually come out of this, not only with a, a military that's been completely demolished and won't be rebuilt for another generation, but with losing, losing gains. And then surely the Russian generals and the people around Putin will be looking at him being like, do we want this weak, humiliated, old, fat loser guy <laughs> in charge? And they'll get rid of him. Yeah. Is it a bit like an episode of Bullseye presented by Jim Bowen in the 80s when 
halfway through the game, he's like, look, here's the money you've won. Yeah. Do you risk it for a speedboat? Yeah. Do you want this 35 quid? <laughs> yeah. Or do you want a speedboat, even though you live in Coventry and there's no... Where are you going to drive it? The canal? And which you've got to share with your mate Bob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I think my references are dated and then you come out with a bullseye <laughs> yeah. on the 80s. Bullseye. Like, All right, great. I tell you, that's one for the teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about Doris Day later. Staying with Russia now, Putin's propaganda machine is in full force uh, towing the line, Dmitry. Yeah, so um, there's there's a person whose job it is to actually watch Russian propaganda 24 hours a day. Well, not 24 hours, but every single day. And I really do feel really bad for them uh, <laughs> because, you know, it's, it's I guess, demoralising, uh, kind of seeing that a parallel existence can, can take place. It's actually what Leo was saying about... Uh, Crimea being potentially taken bad, uh, back. My my mom's got Ukrainian refugees staying at her house, like a, a mother and her two daughters. And this lady's mom is in Crimea and fully believes that Putin is there to save them. She was actually upset at, at the lady for um, going to London instead of coming to Crimea. So I think the people in Crimea are very much so under the Russian influence. And yeah. So this propaganda is working. Yeah, it's, it's working surprisingly well. It's like, you know, when I when I was growing up there, like even as a, I left when I was 11 years old and when I was leaving, I very much so was under the impression that BBC's an um, all evil organization that's, you know. Well, kind of, yeah, you, you know. Yeah, we'd agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> Can't be wrong about everything, can they? Yeah. But, um, but one, one of the things that um, Russia is saying in, in their propaganda is that everything's going according to plan. It is possibly technically true because we don't know what the plan is. So, you know, that could be the plan. Uh, and they're saying that they won't stop until Russian objectives of de demilitarizing and uh, denazifying Ukraine are achieved, which are, again, I think they're kind of working towards, right? Because there were not really a lot of Nazis there. So you kind of say that's been achieved. And they are uh, demilitarizing the Ukrainian military because they're spending all their ammunition shooting down Russian... Although the, the Ukrainian military have got more tanks now than they did at the start of the conflict because they keep stealing Russian tanks <laughs> yeah, yeah. and dragging them with tractors, which uh, people then search for in the House of Commons and find <laughs> pornography instead. Too right, too right. Uh, well, moving on now and getting away from Ukraine, Ukraine just for the moment, uh, what's the best way to decide criminal justice? Maybe rock, paper, scissors, Leo. Well, yeah, if you're a scantily clad woman in a bikini, you might get away with this. <laughs> so there was a video that's had 18 million views. Uh, of uh, Apparently it's in Florida. We're not totally sure of the location. Um, but it's uh, three young women in bikinis on a boat. We're not sure what offence or, or alleged offence they'd committed. But uh, a, a police patrol boat pulls up next to them. And the policeman uh, decides to settle, settle it by uh, playing a game of rock, paper, scissors which has received some criticism because, uh, you know, some people say the police should actually enforce the law instead of playing fun <laughs> games with the scantily clad women. Um, you know, there's been some comments like, don't try this when it's all dudes on the boat. And uh, another one said, results may vary on skin colour. Uh, so, <laughs> but apparently they interviewed the, the police officer and he said he was going to let them off anyway and he just thought he'd do it in a fun way. Probably because yeah. he thought he was going to get one of their numbers. I love it. I love it. Um, let's move on now to a driver playing loud music, Dimitri. Oh, it's not, it's not just loud music. It's like loud exhausts and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, so England um, is looking to introduce a bunch of um, noise cameras uh, in areas where there's uh, particularly loud 
vehicles are prone to, to drive by, and which could result in, in a fine of up to £100. Okay. Um, one of the cars, like, the types of cars that they say causes a lot of problems with noise pollution are things like Lamborghinis. Right. You know, where, when they rev their engines and they go, the, the noise goes through the roof. The only problem with this is that to rev an engine in a Lamborghini costs more than a hundred pounds. I don't. I don't think it's going to prevent those guys from doing it. There, there's actually been a study um, by Bart um, and London School of Medicine that found a link between two, type two diabetes and noise pollution mm, um, from, from from roads. Yeah, which is yeah, I think amazing. It's like people will blame anything other than their diet. <laughs> And, and would the fine be sort of related to how bad the noise is? I mean, would you pay more if, if, if someone was playing status quo, for example? <laughs> I think it's just a, a flat £50 fine, which isn't enough. If somebody's got a Lamborghini, they can obviously, you know, afford 50 quid to, to rev the engine. Uh, yeah, I, think, I think it's annoying. And also, like, I don't understand why guys do it. Because when you hear, you know, somebody revving their engine like that, and it's always a souped-up little Nova with, like, fire extinguishers in the window and, like, webbing seatbelts as if you're, you know, you're going to do 100 maybe falling off a cliff. But they, they rev the engine. And you know uh. there's no girl in that car. You know <laughs> this is just some virginal, like, 17-year-old boy racer with his, uh, in his mum's car. It's ridiculous. I, I think we need to, instead of fines, we need to hand out some of these Ukrainian anti-tank weapons so people can just pop out the bedroom window and fire one down the, the sunroof of these Novas. Now you're talking. Uh, I've actually got a Prius, a very old knackered Prius, but it's, it's pretty reliable. And I was surprised when I bought it to find out that this rather middle-aged car that I just assumed was owned by sandal-wearing Liberal Democrats is used in America by gangsters because it's so quiet, it's a hybrid. Is that and it's used for drive-by shootings because oh, really? the victims don't know there's a car behind them. Right, no way. Yeah. Who knew my car was so exciting? Well, I thought the dealer must have just told you that to try and make it <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it did. It closed the deal with Mrs Dolan, who has murderous <laughs> tendencies. But there you go. Um, now, look, let's get to home testing. It's back, but not for COVID, Leo. Yeah, not for COVID, uh, for UTIs, urinary tract infections. So uh, at-home at test kits which diagnose urinary tract infections within minutes are being trialled on the NHS and could save 10 million GP appointments every year. So they, they allow patients to self-test using a dipstick. Don't ask me where it goes. And then they scan the results on their smartphone and get diagnosed via an app. Um, but yeah, this uh, apparently UTI appointments um, cost the NHS uh, a lot of money. Uh, they're responsible for between one and three percent of GP appointments every year. So if mm. we if we get people doing it on their phones, then that's that's a lot of NHS resources saved. Mm. Soon we won't need doctors at all, will we? No, no, we'll just have dipsticks and yeah. apps. <laughs> exactly. You said sort of, you're wondering where where the dipstick goes. Yeah. I guess a Tory MP could show you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they know. They know human biology. Uh, Dimitri, how do you feel about being your own doctor? Uh, I love it, uh, especially as somebody who spent um, a decade working in the doctor surgery. Not as a doctor, I'm not clinical. Uh, I'm a manager. This, to me, is heaven. This, this, this does mean that like, doctors can continue working from Spain mm. uh, remotely and just not need to see anybody. But honestly, like, GPs get inundated with so many pointless appointments mm -hmm. that can be done literally by, by a phone app. Yeah. Why, why bother them? Yeah. Are they hypochondriacs or is it they just want to talk to the doctor? Who are the worst offenders for wasting doctor's time? Um, well, hypochondriacs are quite bad. It's not 
it's not really the patient's fault. It's, that's the only way you can get the antibiotics. Mm. That's that's the thing. It's like, yeah. they, they, they go in there to tick a box and nobody nobody needs that. But it's yeah. bureaucracy. Do, do medics get guilty? Do they feel guilty when hypochondriacs die? <laughs> <laughs> depends how. Like, oh, no. Turns out he was quite ill. <laughs> Well, uh, lots more to come. In fact, we've saved our best till last. Can't wait for our final stories of the show. After the break, billionaires in space, hostile popes and woke Microsoft Word. See you soon. Welcome back to Headliners with me, Mark Dolan. Yes, a final look at tomorrow's papers tonight in the company of the world-class comedians Leo Kurz and Dmitry Bakunov. Now, Elon Musk is making the headlines again with yet another attack from the left, Dmitry. Yeah, so uh, AOC um, has accused uh, Elon Musk of, um, of promoting the explosion of hate on Twitter by announcing that he's going to buy it, uh, to which he responded... Uh, please stop flirting with me. I'm really shy. And AOC, of course, is a, a leading left-wing politician, Democratic politician, on the left of the Democratic Party. On the, on the very, very left. Yeah, yeah the like it's sort crazy. of Corbyn, Corbyn level. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, yeah. Like she's falling off and holding on by a rope. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I think she responded by saying, oh, I wasn't talking about you, I was talking about Facebook. Yeah, she, she responded and said that she was talking about Zuckerberg um, uh, and then deleted her tweet a minute later, which, by the way, Ooh. never works. That is... You, you like, can't do why, it. Why even try Some, Someone is screenshotting it somewhere. Oh, yeah. Like, instantly. I, I think there's algorithms set up. And also, it really makes it look like she was flirting with it. To, like, you know, say that, and then, and then he's like, you're flirting with me, and she's like, I wasn't flirting, and delete Which it. tweet did she delete? The, the Zuckerberg tweet... Or yes, the original one. Saying that she wasn't. Well, I, I wonder if that identifies her as a liar then, because she's basically tried to cover up for, for his response a liar by saying, from "Oh, the I left? wasn't. I wasn't talking about you." Somebody on the left covering so up something bad that they did. It would never. It would never happen. Never. I can't believe there's been so many liberal woke tears this this week over Elon Musk buying Twitter. Even though you know they're worried about harassment, they're worried about political bias. Uh, Elon Musk is going to make the algorithm open source so we can see what it's doing. So if it's if it's causing any bias, we can see it and we can fix it. Uh, he's going to make sure everybody's verified, so there won't be anybody hiding behind, you know, the, the, an avatar of an angry egg and just hurling abuse at people. Uh, and he's going to get rid of bots, so it's going to reduce, you know, abuse and harassment. It's going to reduce political bias. And of course, Twitter is hugely biased at the moment towards the Democrats and against right-wing people. And we can see this because uh, we can see the political donations that are made by Twitter employees and the proportion that went to the Democrats. 98.7%. That's virtually all of them. Virtually all of the donations by Twitter employees went to the Democrats. So there's no, there's no equity there. We've heard about the civil service blob, uh, the rump of civil servants who will not execute government policy like the Rwanda migrant mm. plan uh, because of their politics. And this, this blob is just an insuperable group of, uh, of employees who will not play ball. Right? Fire them. Right? If they won't well, do their jobs... Fire them. The question is, do you think that there's a blob within Twitter too? Can Elon Musk democratise Twitter with all of those woke employees on board? Well, Absolutely. They've already, sorry. Uh, mm. They've already said they're going to quit. 
when, when he takes over. So it's, it's actually yeah. self-regulating, right? We don't yeah. even need to pay severance. This oh. is amazing. All the green hairs will just leave. <laughs> Everybody with a nose piercing is going to walk out that door with their pronouns well, in they a could box. Be, they could be led through, through the ring on their nose, couldn't they? They could, yeah. yeah in a kind of bovine manner. Yeah. Almost. What are you saying? They're not attractive. Well, I wouldn't say that, but uh, <clears throat> I'd rather look at people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Nobody uh, should throw stones. <laughs> well said. Uh, let's leave space for the billionaires and the robots. Sounds like a dystopian sci-fi, Leo. Yeah, so this is in The Guardian. Uh, so Lord Martin Rees uh, has said that the world's space agencies should scrap plans uh, to send astronauts to the moon and to Mars using public funds and leave it to billionaires who can privately fund and, and risk uh, such adventures. That's what the... Uh, he's an astronomer royal, apparently. I don't know what that is. That sounds more fun than the Queen. Why can't we make him the head of state? <laughs> he's not, he turns up to state functions dressed as a spaceman. That'd be brilliant. But basically he's saying <laughs> advances in, in robotics... And artificial intelligence mean we can do unmanned missions to, to Mars and to the outer reaches of the solar system. And, uh, you know, billionaires such as Elon Musk who, and Richard Branson who already have, and Jeff Bezos as well, already have, you know, space, uh, space companies sending rockets up. They have the sort of uh, the drive and the, the technical know-how to do this better than, uh, than staid, public-funded uh, organisations such as NASA mm. can do it. So, yeah, I think, I think he's got a real, really good point. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I completely agree. Especially historically, um, it was, you know, explorers that went to the North Pole to yeah. climb the highest mountains. They all did it privately. Mm -hmm. I mean, fine, they were all, again, from wealthy families, but it was just an expedition that they did for fun. Same thing. Let these guys do it. Let them spend their money. If they manage to make something from it, great. If they yeah. don't, even better. Yeah. I mean, who's going to make a better car? Like Audi, a private company, doing it, you know, with their money, really focused on making the best car, or Harringay Council. That's the <laughs> argument we've got between private uh, enterprise yeah. and public sector. There wouldn't even be a steering wheel. <laughs> you would just be jogging to work. <laughs> Those boffins at Oxford are one step closer to the discovery of a lifetime, Dimitri. Yeah, so uh, apparently uh, scientists are very... Like, they're racing uh, to uh, harness the power of nuclear fusion. Um, and apparently there's been a series of breakthroughs in the last couple of months um, uh, for the energy's holy grail. I, I honestly, I've read the story a number of times. I can't get <laughs> half the words into my mind. I, I, all, all I like is the fact that this, uh, this new fuel, which is hopefully going to be available fairly soon, has has started making progress the second the Russian gas and uh, oil are starting to be cut off, which is good timing, I think. Yeah. Uh, suspiciously good timing. But, you know, if we have to thank Putin for anything other than the rise of my career, it's also this. <laughs> yeah, too, right. <laughs> Uh, so I won't ask you for the science of nuclear fusion, but what is the application? Would it power cars? Would it fuel, would it fuel homes? How does it work? Uh, it will it just, it's a cleaner yet more dangerous way to generate electricity. Right. So far they've managed to generate enough electricity to power 60 kettles. Yeah, which is quite a lot of kettles. There's a lot of kettles yeah. at the same yeah. time, yeah. yeah. Uh, but okay. it did cost 50 million pounds. Yeah. So. I mean, the way gas prices are going, that's not so outrageous. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this basically recreates what happens in the sun, the, mm. uh, the, the star, the sun, not, not, the, uh, not the newspaper. And uh, yeah, so... What, phone tapping? What's going on? <laughs> hydrogen atoms are pushed together at incredibly high pressure and it releases energy and it releases helium. So there's no radioactive byproducts, mm. uh, but it is crazy. And it is like something out of a James Bond film.
Yeah, but we're desperate and when needs must, hey? Mm. Good luck with that. A tale of two popes, and it's not all rosy in the Vatican, Leo. Yeah, we've got Pope Wars, Pope Wars here. So Popes uh, Francis and Benedict. So one of them's the new one, one of them's the old one. I think Benedict is the old yeah, one. Yeah, Benedict's sure. the old one, yeah. He's the old one. He's, Benny to his friends. When I say old, I mean, he's 95. So even the new one's 85. You know, there's no spring chickens in the in the Pope game. Um, but uh, maybe that's maybe we need to shake things up. Get, get a 21-year-old Pope in there, you know, give it, yeah. give it a bit of uh, youth. And or, or Benedict, he's 95, did you say? Yeah, yeah. so... Uh, Perhaps make him President of the United States just to bring some <laughs> energy to the job. <laughs> yeah, just to bring... Someone that can, like, get to the end of the sentence without too much trouble. <laughs> Who can leave the lectern and walk <laughs> off without trying to shake hands in midair with nothing and then, you know, walk into a bit of canvas. But, yeah, so basically it started off nice. So, so Benedict, I think, is the first... Uh, Pope in uh, six centuries to actually step down instead of wait for God to take him, which is uh, a nice way of saying die. Uh, so he, st he stood down and the new guy came in and um, they, were, they were both getting on, getting on well. So Benedict said, uh, or uh, the new one, Francis said, Benedict was a wise grandfather and, um, and treated him with deference. And uh, the, the old guy, Benedict, is it Benedict? I'm getting confused. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, Benedict's the old one, yes. Said he would assist him by becoming invisible and silent. But they're not invisible and silent. They're, they're battling over uh, appointees and people getting fired and stuff. It's actually quite boring when you look at it. I think you'd have to be a high-ranking member of the Catholic Church to get excited <laughs> by this. But I've said that about a lot of things. Well, I think, I think uh, you've definitely got... To uh, got a fair comment there. Um, listen, uh, if we can, Richard, I think we'll jump uh, a couple of uh, stories um, and let's have a look at school online parents' evenings, Leo. So uh, this is... Oh, yeah, so this is, this is in the Telegraph. So parents are sick to death of... Uh, so parent-teacher evenings, uh, you know, used to be done face-to-face. -face. You'd go mm. in, you'd, you'd speak to the teacher, see how your kid's doing, and now it's being done over Zoom. Like, so much in the public sector. Hey, I'm not saying public sector people are lazy, <laughs> but they do like doing things over Zoom, even though we're out of the pandemic yeah. and we can go back to doing things face to face. I've noticed that my, my missus is uh, pregnant and uh, the natal classes are being done over Zoom. And it's a shame because it's, uh, it's, a, it's a, a natal class would be where you meet other expectant mothers. And, and st stare at other pregnant women, yeah. Exactly, you know what I mean? So, you know, and you can meet the, the fathers, go for a beer, go for a barbecue. So it forms that community of parents, you know, and, and now, now they're not getting it because because uh, people can't be bothered to put it on in real life. They just want to sit at a laptop and not go in and do any work. So so yeah, yeah. basically this is this is happening with school uh, parent teacher evenings as it, well. It, it's given organisations an excuse to be rubbish, hasn't it? <laughs> Those three terrible words, Dimitri, because of COVID. Yeah. So the call centres. Why are the call centres slowed down by COVID? How does that work? Yeah. They're on the phone. Yeah. They have to sit further apart. <laughs> Is that it? <laughs> can they just do it from home? I don't know. Maybe their connection is slower. It's, you know, you have to be encouraged. There isn't the person, uh, what's it called? Um, Cracking the whip. Yes, thank you. I see I'm foreign. I don't speak English. Well. <laughs> I need this Scottish guy to help me out. This is embarrassing. And you don't like whip imagery, and I understand that. It's a bit medieval, isn't it? Yes. Crack the whip, is, you know. And Scotland, it's, of course, is a home of many call centres. But it was a, a, a relief to most people uh, in England when call centres moved to, like, <laughs> Romania and India, because then at least you could understand the accent better. Yeah, too, too right. Nicely done. I, I, I think that we've got to get back to normal. I did a comedy gig the other day, and we were handed individual microphones, which were sanitised. Yeah, and yeah. I just thought, where does this end? I mean, comedians are full of viruses, don't get me wrong. 
Although Zoom gigs still go. I did a Zoom gig today for uh, Shanghai because they're they're in lockdown there. How long was that gig? Three hours? Uh, I did. I did about yeah, about forty minutes. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. Were you, did you really entertain people in China? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and fantastic. Philip, there's a Chinese uh, comedian, uh, Chin. Is it Chin Wang? I, I, I hope I got that right, or I'll sound terribly racist. But uh, she's based in London. She's really funny, and she was on the gig as well for people in Shanghai. Okay, well, crumbs. Well, well done, you. Uh, more power to your elbow. Uh, is it Microsoft Word or is it Microsoft Woke, Dimitri? <laughs> yeah. So this is the story that Microsoft Word is um, starting to censor you by uh, providing politically correct options, mm. which is, you know, it's a great way of affecting how people think. A lot of people use, you know, writing as a method of putting down their thoughts. And if somebody corrects you every single time, uh, I might not need a girlfriend if, if I've got a Microsoft Word to do this for me. Um, but it's terrible, isn't it? Because it will offer you an alternative to mankind or manpower, which are actual yeah. words, legitimate words that you can use. I mean, this is this is all. This is just going to oh. I'm going to want to put my laptop through the through the window if it keeps suggesting these words. And also, a lot of this inclusive language, uh, which is designed to make sure nobody feels excluded, ends up making a lot of people feel excluded. Like I was talking about my missus being pregnant, so she gets uh, you know stuff from the leaflets from the NHS that refer to her as a birthing person or a person with a cervix, and that doesn't make her feel good. No. She's a she's a woman, and I think anybody who's uh, who's you know, trans or whatever, understands that, you know, this also refers to, to them. They're included in this. So there's no point alienating 99.9% .9 of people. Well, let me tell you that Leo Kurs and Dmitry Bakanov are my favourite birthing humans, and I love both of their cervixes, I've got to say. Um, thank you so much, chaps. Dimitri knocked it out of the park in your first appearance on Headliners. Do come back soon, of course. Leo, a stalwart of the programme. And don't forget, you can catch Leo every week, Ministry of Offence, Saturday nights at 8pm. Lots more to come. I will see you tomorrow at 9. Thanks for your company. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring.